Meaningful Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, joined as always by Robert Brolympic Hopeful Brocamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hey, bro. Well, hello, Allison. Former pole vaulter extraordinaire and always Olympic hopeful in my mind, Robert I think I still am the top three of my high school in terms of uh, pole vaulting record from the 80s. Last I checked, I'm still up there. I'm sure you still got it. All right. Well, in this week's episode, we're joined by Dan Miller, founder of the Points with a Crew blog. He's here to talk about travel hacking and how to maximize credit points to fund your future vacation. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, you know how I just love to read the latest research on safe withdrawal rates in retirement. Do I? Oh, boy, do you. Uh, And such research isn't really just for retirees. It can be used by people who are still working as a target for how much they need to save before they can stop working. And we've seen this actually uh, recently in a few of our episodes when we discussed a guideline used by some people in the financial independence retire early movement, otherwise known as the FIRE movement. And that guideline is that they can retire when they've saved up an amount that is 25 times their annual expenses. The foundation for that comes from the old 4% rule. So if you've saved up a million dollars, the 4% rule says you can take out $40,000 in your first year of retirement. What's 40,000 times 25? A million dollars. So that's the math behind the guideline. Um, But the 4% rule was developed with a 30-year retirement in mind. Is it reasonable for people who plan to be retired for 40 years, 50 years, even 60 years? Well, this is a question that was addressed in a recent research note from Vanguard entitled, Fuel for the Fire, updating the 4% rule for early retirees. And their message for the fire folks, and really all retirees, you probably need to save more than you think. Uh, The first issue is that the 4% rule is based on historical returns for the U.S. in terms of stocks and bonds. And so from 1926 through March of 2021, U.S. stocks have returned 10.7% on average, and U.S. bonds have returned 5.3%. Unfortunately, Vanguard says we shouldn't expect such high returns over the next decade. Uh, According to their proprietary prediction machine, it's a little secret in terms of how they figure it out, but they think that the most likely outcome is that the U.S. stock market will return just 4% a year on average over the next decade, and that bonds will return return just 1.3% a year. The main reason for the low stock returns is high valuations. Of course, for many years... Many firms, and myself as well, have been saying that high valuations suggest that future stock returns will be below average, and the market just laughs in our faces. The market is up 16% so far this year, and we're just barely half over. So it's certainly possible that Vanguard's prediction for such low returns for stocks will turn out not to be accurate. Though, frankly, I still think it's the prudent assumption. But when it comes to bonds, there's really not much debate. When you're starting at a point where the 10-year treasury is yielding 1.3% as it is now, it's almost mathematically impossible to return over 5% a year over the next decade. So what does this mean for retirees? Well, Vanguard says that using their projected returns for U.S. stocks and bonds, a 4% withdrawal rate has an 18% chance of failure for a 30-year retirement and a 64% chance of failure for a 50-year retirement. So while that's discouraging, though, fortunately, Vanguard does have some solutions. First, they believe that international investments will outperform U.S. investments over the next decade. This is another prediction that people have been making for a few years that has yet to come true. 
But Vanguard's projection suggests that by investing some of your portfolio in international stocks and international bonds, um, if you do that, the odds of failure of a 4% withdrawal rate over a 50-year retirement, so again, for the 50, for the fire folks, those odds of failure drop from 64% to 44%. Uh, so that's good, but it's still essentially a coin flip. To further reduce the odds of failure, Vanguard suggests adopting what they call a dynamic spending rule, which basically entails adjusting your withdrawals each year based on how your portfolio performs. That's not how the original 4% rule works, at least as it was originally conceived. With the original 4% rule, you take out the same amount each year adjusted for inflation. So you're actually taking a little bit more out each year. But with Vanguard's dynamic spending rule, which is explained in their research report, you cut back on withdrawals when the portfolio is down. This leaves more money in your portfolio to benefit from the recovery when it eventually happens. Now, when I first read this, I thought... Uh, Many people in the fire movement have already cut their budgets to the bone, so I'm not sure there's much flexibility in their year-to-year spending. Uh, but then I thought, you know, the fire folks are pretty resourceful. So if there's anyone out there who can find a way to cut their spending a little bit in a given year, it's probably these people. Uh, anyway, according to Vanguard, by adding international investments to their portfolio and adopting a dynamic spending rule, the odds of a 4% initial withdrawal rate failing over a 50-year retirement fall to just around 10%. Uh, so there's a lot more to the report. I recommend that retirees of all timelines read it. Uh, but the bottom line, frankly, for me is still that a 4% withdrawal rate for early retirees is still a tad too high. And that, Allison, is what's up. get vaccinated, travel is making a comeback. And pent-up demand combined with limited supply means that you could be paying a lot more for travel. Travel hacking could maybe just be the trick to help you travel cheaper in the future. So it's been a while since we've talked about travel hacking, and we're excited to welcome today Dan Miller. He's the founder of Points with a Crew, which is part of the Motley Fool's All-Star Money Blog Network. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, at the highest level, what is travel hacking? So, like like most kinds of hacking, you know, it's all about trying to maximize the you know the value you're getting while paying the the lowest amount possible. So, when you talk about travel hacking, this could be trying to get you know cheap flights, cheap hotel rooms, uh, any kind of things that kind of maximize the amount of travel you're able to get while paying as little out of pocket as possible. And a lot of, a lot of times it deals with credit cards. Uh, so the, the miles and points that you get from various credit cards are one way uh, that you can uh, travel hack. Um, but there are a couple of other ways uh, that, that, you can, that you can do it as well. So how did you get started travel hacking? Uh, well, I have six kids. So trying to travel anywhere with eight people is, you know, in a way, eight times as expensive. Uh, and so we had a, a family reunion in 2014 that was in Lake Tahoe. Uh, and so I, I live in Ohio. And as we were trying to plan for this, this trip, I knew that eight cross-country plane tickets was going to be thousands of dollars and that it would be, you know, perhaps out of our budget. Uh, and so I had heard before of the concept of travel hacking, you know, in the old days, they, a lot of times they called it an apporama, meaning that you would multiple, you would apply for multiple credit cards on the same day. Um, 
as a way to kind of minimize the number of hard pulls on your credit report. So I had heard of this concept before, but had never really investigated it. And so it was this, this trip to Lake Tahoe uh, that was coming up that was the impetus to kind of really get serious about it. So I did my research. I opened up a couple of credit cards. And uh, a couple months later, I used 170,000 Southwest Rapid Rewards points that I had gotten pretty much completely from opening new credit cards to fly my family of eight round trip to Lake Tahoe and back. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more then about the finer points of collecting points. Like how... How did you get a bajillion points, and you know, to in in a, probably a pretty finite amount of time? If you knew the the trip was right around the corner. Yeah, the the way the way to get a lot of points is almost the easiest way is through credit card signups. Uh, so signing up for new credit cards. So it, it's really hard to get an appreciable amount of miles and points by just doing your everyday spending because, like, if you look at the credit card that you have in your wallet, you're probably getting one mile for every dollar you spent or two miles, you know, or maybe there's a couple, you know, a couple cards or a couple categories where you might get more, but it's really hard to get a lot of points unless you're spending a lot of money, you know, especially if you're spending, you know, if you're, if you own a business, you know, or if you, or if you make a lot of uh, expenses for, for your company that you get reimbursed, you know, that can be a way to spend a lot of money. But outside of that, uh, really the way to get a lot of points is through these signup bonuses. For example, the Chase Sapphire Preferred card right now is offering 100,000 Chase points if you spend, I think, $4,000 in the first three months of having the card. So instead of, you know, for that $4,000 that you're spending, instead of only getting 4,000 points, you're getting 100,000 points. You're getting 25 points for every dollar that you spend for, the, for those $4,000. And so like anything, you know, with when you, when you think about like hacking something, you know, it's a house hacking, travel hacking, whatever, it's, Kind of scaling it up, right? So, okay, well, I can get a hundred thousand points if I if I spend four thousand dollars in three months. Well, what if my wife also signs up for this card? Now we can get two hundred thousand points, and so kind of taking it from there in a in a you know measured way, right? So that you don't you know don't hurt your credit. You know you're all you're still you know paying all your bills on time. So making sure that you kind of have that. Uh, baseline in play, you know, but then it's just kind of signing up for as many credit cards as you think, you know, you, you can manage. Right. So the very first reaction for a lot of people when they hear the phrase signing up for a bunch of credit cards is that sounds like an amazing way to destroy my credit or it just, it just sounds dangerous. So what do you say to someone like that? Yeah, that literally is like the first question I get from anybody that I talk to about this. Like, doesn't that doesn't that hurt your credit? And you know, it it really doesn't. As long as you have the financial discipline and ability to pay your bills off in full, you know, every month. Uh, you know, I've been doing. My wife and I have been doing this for you know about eight or nine years now, and our credit scores are in the high 700s. You know, you 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 will get a small you know two or three point ding when you open up a new credit card. You know, that usually is temporary. In some ways, though, having a lot of credit cards can uh, actually help your credit because one of the biggest factors towards your credit score is called your utilization rate. And it represents how much of your available credit do you actually use. So, okay, you've got one credit card and it has a $10,000 limit. And every month you spend about $1,000 on that card. So you have a 10% utilization rate. You know, the bank's looking at you and saying, okay, Allison uses 10% of her available credit. 
Um, I have 40 credit cards, you know, as an example, right? And they all have a $10,000 limit, but I still only really spend that same $1,000. So my, my utilization rate is much lower and that is a positive, that has a positive impact on your credit score. When I hear these things, I often think about, um, my concern would be that A, uh, people aren't able to pay off the credit card uh, and that maybe some people actually use it as an excuse to spend money, right? Like I need the points, so I, that's how I'm going to justify this purchase. But that's just my instincts. Is there any evidence that that happens or are most of the people who are trying to do the things that you're saying responsible like you and your wife? Uh, I mean, I think that there, that's certainly, there are certainly people that, where that comes into play. More so your second point, you know, where people, where people are like, oh, I need to get, you know, I need to spend, you know, $5,000 on my card to get the, you know, my, my Delta status to the next level. And so they do that, or they take these mileage run flights where they're, you know, where they're flying around, you know, at the end of December because they need to requalify for, you know, the highest level of status. I think that that happens. I think generally for people that are do, that are travel hacking, it's not so much the first thing, you know, where people, it's mostly people that are relatively well off and, you know, have, you know, like the cushions in place to be able to open up, you know, a credit card or two to be able to get those bonus points. You said that you and your wife have been doing this for a while now. Um, I figured there are only so many credit cards in the world. Like, are you like, I know they always talk about the Chase Sapphire rewards card or the, you know, there's always these cards that kind of come up over and over again when you read articles about travel hacking. Like, are you able to then not like cancel your card and then sign up again? Or once I've got that sweet initial Chase Sapphire rewards sign up bonus, I can't ever get that again. Yeah, there are. That's, that's a good point, you know, and, and it is something that has that has happened. You know, I wouldn't say that I've run out of credit cards to apply for, but it's definitely, you know, harder. Uh, for exactly for what you're saying, uh, the rules vary by issuer. Um, gen, you know, American Express, for example, has a pretty strict once per lifetime. Like, if you for any given American Express credit card, you can only get the welcome bonus on that once in your lifetime. So like you can get it on the Delta Gold card and the Delta Gold business card and the Delta Platinum card. Like those are all considered separate cards. But like if, I, if I've gotten a, a welcome bonus on the Delta Gold card, I can't get it again in my lifetime for the, that same card. Uh, other banks, you know, it might be you can't get the bonus if you you have had this card within the last 24 months or the last 48 months or if you if you currently have the card. It used to be, you know, several years ago that you could get multiple copies of the same card. I mean, you could just keep applying for the same card over and over again, and they would give you the bonus. You know, like even though I've already have like, I literally have three of these cards already, and you could just sign up for another one and they would give you the bonus. For the most part, uh, that's not possible anymore, but you can, uh, with most, I would say most credit card issuers, you can apply for a card, you know, maybe cancel it after a year or two, and you know, and then in a couple of years, sign up for it again. Yeah. You talk about um, on your site that there are points points and cash points. What is the difference here that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a really important distinction to kind of uh, to make and to, to understand. So when I talk about cash points versus points points or miles points, so some points, you know, not all points are created equal. You know, a Hilton point isn't worth the same as an American Airlines mile isn't equal to a Chase Ultimate Rewards point. They're all have different kind of values just based on what what you can 
redeem them for. So a cash point, you know, this would be something like Capital One Venture Card, you know, where when Jennifer Garner talks about how she's getting unlimited double miles, so those miles that she gets aren't actually miles. They're more what I would consider points, and they're worth one cent. So no matter, so 100,000 Capital One Venture Miles, which I think is the current sign-up bonus on that card, you're going to get 100,000 points, and that's going to be worth $1,000 because each point is worth one cent. So that $1,000, you can spend it on you know, an airline flight, you can spend it on a hotel, you can spend it on whatever, but you can't really maximize your value with that because no matter how you spend it, it's worth one cent. So it's gonna be worth one cent no matter what. And so, and that, that's not to say that that's bad, you know, in some ways that's actually good and it's easier for a lot of people to understand. Like, okay, well, I have $1,000 and I can spend this, you know, I can use this to, to, to fly or to, to travel however I want, up to a thousand dollars. So points, points, or miles. You know what what most airline miles are in like hotel points, like Hilton or Hyatt. Those points are actually not really related to the cost in cash. So, as an example, like a flight from Washington D.C. to Los Angeles on American Airlines, it might cost ten thousand airline or ten thousand American Airlines miles. The cash cost might be $100, it might be $500, but it's still going to cost 10,000 miles. So you, you can't think of, like if you have airline miles or, or hotel points, you can't really think about that as the same as the, the cost in cash. They're two totally different things that are often related. You know, they like if a, if a hotel costs a lot, you know, a lot of times it will cost a lot in points as well. Um, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's really finding those kind of sweet spots where something has a really high cash value, but you can get it for a, a relatively small amount of points. That's kind of one of the basics of travel hacking. Yeah. How do you keep track of it all? So, <laughs> it's like it could get complicated pretty that's fast. That's the second question I get usually. Yeah. Right. So like, no joke, between my wife and I, we do have probably 30 or 40 credit cards, you know, at, at any given time. That's a lot, right? You know, and when I tell people that, you know, they're like, there's no way that I could keep track of all that. And that's probably true. Like it really, you know, it, and you don't have to, you know, that that's like, I am a special, you know, I'm, I'm a special snowflake, right? Where, you know, this is something that I really enjoy. And it's something where, you know, I like, you know, you know, I was, I was an extreme couponer, you know, way back, you know, way back before it was on TLC. So like, I'm, a, I'm into this kind of stuff of like maximizing everything. So I like doing this, you know, and I've got spreadsheets and whatever. If that's not your thing, like, it doesn't have to be like, you can still participate without kind of going to that extreme. What I like to tell people is pick a, like, if you're just starting out, pick a specific trip, you know, maybe a year or so out in, you know, in the future that you want to pay for with points. And so then kind of do some research to figure out how many points it will take and what kind of points you need. And then open maybe one or two credit cards and put the spending that you're already spending on whatever card you have right now on these new cards. And with one or two sign-up bonuses, you can probably get a good chunk of your trip paid for. You mentioned there are ways to travel hack beyond credit cards. Tell me more. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, it's, it's really just a mindset of like, okay, how can I, you know, how can I get the, uh, you know, the most value for paying the little, the, you know, the least amount of money, you know, 
there's a couple of different things you know this, this is it's it's more minor i think like like you were saying the, the most of it most of this is is with credit card points you know especially specifically sign up bonuses like one example that i can think of that isn't credit card related is that a lot of times rental cars have amazing one-way car rental deals in the spring and fall as people are going in and out of florida and arizona so like everybody is traveling to to florida or to arizona in the fall so okay well now now it's spring and i got all these cars and you know so now I, I want to go the other way. You know, I need to get these cars either to Florida or out of Florida. And so they will offer, they will, a lot of times one-way car rentals are really expensive, but during these times, most of the credit, the car rental companies, you know, will offer deals where it might be seven or $8 a day to, you know, to go from New York to Florida, you know, on a one-way car, on a, a one-way car rental, which is an amazing deal. Yeah. Um who shouldn't try travel hacking? Who is this not for? I mean, a lot of it is related to organization, right? So like if you have, you know, if if like paying attention to a lot of detail is maybe is not your thing, you know, that's something that you might want to be, you know, maybe a little bit cautious about, right? Because if you start, you know, if you're good at like having everything on autopilot for your one debit card, right, you know, adding more to that might complicate your life in a way, you know, where you would kind of start missing your payment or, you know, you're, you, you start spending more because you don't real, you know, you don't kind of realize what, what, where all your cards are, you know, that I think is the main thing. Uh, the main, the main group of people that I would maybe encourage to be a little cautious about this. I've actually never done this. I've always used my points for other things, um, but I've heard, that sometimes it's difficult to use points or fly at different times or use them at, at popular times. Is that still the case? Yeah, it can be. I mean, we talked a little bit about like airline miles, like the cost of a flight, a rewards flight in airline miles being separate, separated from the cash cost. Well, air, you know, so that was one way where you could kind of arbitrage the difference to get something that costs a lot of money for a, a relatively small amount of points. Well, airlines aren't stupid, right? So they kind of figured that out too. And so they, over the last couple of years, have been moving more and more towards kind of a dynamic pricing of things. So it used to be that, you know, a, you know, a, cross, or a round, sorry, a one-way uh, flight in the U.S. would cost 12,500 miles on most places, you know, on most airlines, no matter where you flew. You know, no matter where you flew, no matter when you flew, and that was kind of what the cost was. And so then you could kind of arbitrage like, okay, well, I have these really expensive flights. Well, I can just use miles for those and then use my cash for when the flights are different. So airlines have kind of gotten smarter to that, you know, where the the price in miles kind of fluctuates with the, the, the cost in cash. So it makes it a little bit harder to find outsized value. Hotels are starting to do that too, though it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit less common uh, with so there's still a lot of hotels that have a, a fixed award chart where a given hotel is going to cost the same number of points uh, no matter when you when you use it or where you or or, or where you where you use it uh, so that uh, it, it, it it definitely is true that it can be more challenging to use miles you know, because they don't want to give you your you know flight for a small amount of money or a small amount of miles when they could sell it to somebody else for a lot of money. Um, I think that, so I think that, 
you will you will find that but uh but the other thing that you want to do is just be flexible right you know my sister you know she knows that i'm like you know the points and miles guy so she said okay well I, i'd like to come visit you guys and so she was giving me some times and you know like well i can either visit you like next week or over christmas i'm like well those are really bad times because that's when everybody wants to fly right so like it's really hard to find you know good deals or really any you know availability generally now kind of to answer your question bro that uh airlines have moved away from like not being able to use your miles on any like it used to be like it would be blacked out like i can't use my miles there's no award seats available at all for like you know most of december now they're available but they're just incredibly expensive you know so where it makes it so it's not a great deal to use you know where that same flight that might cost you know ten thousand miles you know in the middle of you know the middle of March, you know, now the day before Christmas costs a hundred thousand miles. You know, so it makes it, it does, still makes it a little bit challenging uh, to use your miles, but being flexible is important. In the same vein of kind of changes that have happened in the world of travel hacking and way credit card companies have caught on to things, for example, has, has anything changed as a result of the pandemic? Um, one one thing that we have seen is that credit card companies have started to give you more options as far as how you can redeem your points. They were especially travel rewards cards, you know, they're like, Hey, nobody's traveling. So like, everybody's going to want to cancel, you know, cancel their travel rewards cards. We don't want everyone to cancel their travel rewards cards. So like Chase specifically started this thing called pay yourself back, where instead of redeeming for travel, you could redeem them in certain categories. I think groceries was one and home improvement stores. Um, and so it was a way to uh, to use your points uh, to kind of for cash uh, instead of instead of using them for travel since nobody was traveling. So for our listeners who are thinking, okay, I want to give this a shot. Where's where's kind of the best place to start, or what are some good sites in addition to yours? Points with a crew that they should be reading. <laughs> Other sites? No, I'm sorry. No, there's not. Well, I imagine. I imagine it's it's very much. Travel hackers are probably very much a community of like. Okay, yeah. we just got a new deal. You got to hear about. You know, like being very proud about finding a new deal or finding new fine print that delivers a new. Yeah. Yeah, there are there are a, a variety of different sites. I think one thing that it's important to know before you start reading any site, and my site included, is that the way that all of these travel hacking sites make money or at least almost all of them make money is through selling credit cards so like you buy it you sign up for a credit card through my site i make i make some money um kind of you know this, this is pretty common on the internet you know the concept of affiliate marketing but uh and so it doesn't mean you know, different sites have different uh maybe levels of disclosure about that or kind of make it more obvious. But that's, I think that's important. I tried, I always try to be very upfront with that fact, like, Hey, you know, if you sign up for a credit card for my site, I make money because that doesn't mean necessarily that my advice is bad, but you should be aware of that. Like you should, you know, say like, Hey, is, does he really tell me about this card because he thinks it'll be good for me or because he makes money if I sign up for it? And that's the case with every site, like from the largest sites to to you know, some of the smallest sites out there, and that that's something to be aware of. Uh, so when when you're reading this advice, you know just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Um, so like my set my site is points with a crew. You know I focus 
you know, on general travel hacking, but especially for families and, and larger families, like I said, I, I'm a, in a family of eight. So, you know, there some of the unique uh, uh, circumstances of traveling with a large group. Some of the, uh, I used to be part of a network of travel sites called Boarding Area, which I also like a lot of the sites on there. Um, Frequent Miler, Miles to Memories, Doctor of Credit, these are all sites that I, uh, that I think are pretty good. Uh, we had a fellow fool on the show in the past, Carl, and um, he was a, an extreme travel hacker. Um, and we asked him what his proudest hack was. And I believe, if I remember right, it was two first-class seats to Japan that he hacked his way to for free. Um, so how extreme can travel hacking get? Like, what is your, what's the craziest story you've ever heard? Or maybe what's your proudest travel hack? Sure. Well, well you know, I can top that. Like that's, that's the way that, uh, you know, any, any humans are right. Like no matter that's whatever, what whenever for. someone yeah. tells you a story, right. You're like, Oh yeah, well I can top that. Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, this was a couple of years ago, we flew first class around the world. So we flew from our home in Cincinnati to Chicago and that was just on a little, little, uh, regional jet. But then we flew Japan airlines first class from Chicago to, uh, Japan and then to, uh, Hong Kong. And so then we stayed, uh, stayed a little while in Hong Kong and then went to, to Singapore on, uh, on Cathay. That was in, that was in their business class, um, cause there wasn't first class on that uh, flight. And then we flew, uh, we flew Emirates, uh, first class from Singapore to Dubai and then back to New York city. So the Emirates is the, the one that has the shower on the plane. So, uh, took the shower on the plane, which, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily go out of my way to do that. I mean, but it was pretty cool, you know, like yeah. to be able to kind of check that off the bucket list, you get five minutes of water. So that's how like, they, that's how they do it there. And then and they just, have just a- Just to be clear, this you're the only one in the shower, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, they have okay. a special, it's not just like in the back of the cabin, like you're thinking of an airplane, you know, like it's its its own thing. You, uh, you have your own, uh, it's, you know, the bathroom in the, on the airplane is larger than the bathroom I have at my house, like to kind of give you an idea of uh, uh, the size of that. Um, so that was kind of that was one of the, one of the, the best trips that we had. Another one that we did is we've used our points to to transfer to Amtrak, and we've taken two family vacations on Amtrak that were the cash value was about sixty five hundred dollars. So we we took the train from Chicago. Uh, we first took the sh- train from Chicago to Denver, and then we did another trip from sh- Chicago to Seattle, which is like 50 some hours on the train. You know, and you're, you're, we're, in, you're, we're in like the family rooms. So like we have our own private bedrooms, the meals are all included. Um, it was a lot of fun. A lot of good memories. That's awesome. And, and like when you do this, when you do an epic hack like this, does this mean that you're looking at, all right, what what airline do I need to get to get me from... Hong Kong to Singapore. Okay, what then I need to open up that credit card. What airline do I need to get to get me from the Emirates to the right? Like were you was yeah, it exactly. was it that focused to yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I mean that's a, there's a certain sense, you know, because I'm I started you know that's kind of how I started, right, with these Southwest points. I'm like, okay, I know that I need to get Southwest points to be able to take this trip to Lake Tahoe. So I'm like, okay, I can open a Southwest credit card. I can also open a Chase credit card because Chase points transfer to Southwest. That was kind of how I took that. Like if you, if you, if you have a dream vacation, say to the Turks and Caicos islands, right? Like, you know, hypothetically that you want to go there, right. And you want to stay at this particular Marriott, for example, 
it doesn't make sense to open a Hilton credit card, right? If, you, if there's no Hiltons there, or if that's not where you want to stay, you know, so figure out where you want to go, what you, where you want to stay, and then get the points that will help you to, to get your, uh, you know, to make your trip happen. Wow. Around the world, first class, not too shabby. I think you actually even made bro slightly less skeptical of travel hacking when he heard that. <laughs> no small feat. Oh, well, well, thank you so much, Dan, for joining us. Um, it's been it's it's always interesting um, to hear what people are able to do with some focus, dedication, organization. And it's something it sounds like that you love doing. You love doing it almost inherently in the act of doing it. Like you said, you were a, a coupon clipper, too. So there's some there's some amount of joy, I imagine, you get out of doing it outside of the actual travel. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's there's a couple of people that I've heard of that were also like extreme couponers that are now travel hackers. Some I heard it referred to as that travel hacking is extreme couponing for grownups. You know, like okay, there you we're go. gonna take this to like the next level. Uh, yeah, and it's something that I enjoy. That's how that's why I started uh, my site back in in 2013. Was you know, it seemed like at the time that all these these travel hacking sites were written by single guys or people with no kids. You know, for the most part. And so I wanted to give a voice to people to be like, hey, you know. That that's fun, you know, and it's cool to read about. Like it's way cooler to read about, you know, the first class flight where you take a shower on a plane than, you know, you know, staying at the Holiday Inn Express, right? Like I get that. But it's just not how my family travels or how anybody that I really know travels. And so I just wanted to give a voice to people say, Hey, that's it's it's fine, you know, travel however you want. But, you know, if you sign up for maybe one or two additional credit cards, you can take that family vacation maybe next year that you thought maybe you couldn't afford. Yeah. Dan Miller, thank you so much. Your site is points with a crew. All right, Answers listeners, get out there and travel because I miss your postcards. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Well, if you're looking to get started travel hacking and you want Dan's advice, you can drop him an email at dan at pointswithacrew.com. And that's the show. It's edited globetrottingly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Mm-hmm.